Hello, everybody, and welcome to Mrs. G's Storytime. We are reading the book, Patricia Sandin Tells Her Own Story, with permission of 10 of those publishing company, and we are reading the introduction. Patricia Sandin was one of those very rare people whose writings, life, and being all made the same impact. Not only was she what one might call a poet of forgiveness, someone in the great tradition of St. Luke, and of all those whose stories are interwoven with the one great story of Christ himself, as in St. Luke's Gospel the great parables of Jesus are. She was also, as this lovely autobiography clearly demonstrates, what I can call a redemptive person. Indeed, I can testify to this since I had first encountered her years ago when someone gave one of my children a copy of Treasures of Snow. At the moment, I was meant to do something else, but with the excuse that I might read it aloud to my children, I took the book up. I can remember now being moved to tears by the vividness and directness and the clarity of the story. Perhaps the very heart of it comes at the moment when Annette, sitting on one side of the stove in the house in Switzerland, with her grandmother on the other side, asked, If you hated someone, you could not ask Jesus to come in to your life, could you? If you hate someone, said grandmother, it just shows how badly you need to ask him to come in. The darker the room, the more it needs light. But I couldn't stop hating Lucien, said Annette softly, fingering her long plaits thoughtfully. No, said Grandmother, you're quite right. None of us can stop ourselves thinking wrong thoughts, and it isn't much good trying. But Annette, when you come down in the morning and find this room dark with the shutters closed, do you say to yourself, I must chase away the darkness and the shadows first, and then I will open the shutters and let in the sun. Do you waste time trying to get rid of the dark? Of course not. Then how do you get rid of the dark? Well, I pull back the shutters, of course, and the light comes in. But what happens to the dark? I don't know. It just goes when the light comes. That is just what happens when you ask the Lord Jesus to come in, said Grandmother. He is love, and when love comes in, hatred and selfishness and unkindness will give way to it, just as the darkness gives way when you let the sunshine in. But to try to chase it out alone would be like trying to chase the shadows out of a dark room. It would be a waste of time. It was the reality of the way in which the love of Christ cast out all distorted feelings, including fear itself, in the end, and heals relationships which the story went on so powerfully to describe. It has had the same effect that it had at that moment on me, on countless readers. But when I met personally with Patricia Sanjin here in Coventry, I found myself responding even more deeply to the same vivid energy and vitality, the same sense of creative and indeed redemptive acceptance and challenge, which I had met with in the story. As one of her nephews was to say of her at her memorial service, a cup of tea and a sandwich with Auntie could be a celebration. It was for this reason that I could say all of those who have valued her stories. It was for this reason that I could say to all of those who have valued her stories and to many who have not yet read them that this autobiography will hold them and move them as much as the stories have or more and will give them in a new way a sense of the same source out of which the stories well up and come, which Patricia so obviously drew in her own inspiration, the living grace of God in Christ. Here is the soil from which her own writing sprang, including a vivid description of the time spent in Switzerland which provided the setting for Treasures in the Snow itself. 
From the moment when, as a 12-year-old, Patricia with her brother organized a kind of Sunday school in a garage for children from a nearby estate, an experience which some of them, as one testified, never forgot. Through the days when, as a young nurse in wartime London, she comforted an air raid victims, and somehow by her touch drew back into life a young boy who was dying of meningitis, talking him through until his pulse grew stronger. As a house mother at her aunt's school, later as a missionary nurse alongside her remarkable brother in his hospital, and then on her own in a little town in the mountains, she lived and communicated the forgiving and healing power of God in such an utterly human way. People always responded to her vivid sympathy and sparkle of humor, and without at first recognizing it to the depths of her own growing and deeping relationship with God. The stories of that response among ordinary village people and children in the midst of North Africa comes through the pages of this book so grippingly as though it is all Patricia and the startlingly real, endearing characters among whom she found herself seem to grow together in a fuller realization of the amazing truth of forgiveness. Here, too, is a marvelous evocation of engaging personality of her brother, his wife, and their children, and their extraordinary house and family life. I have never been in a house where so many people of so many types and nationalities came in and out. At all the time I was there, I never heard an irritable or impatient word. If that is Christianity, then I want it. Patricia saw that this was the heart and crux of all our work, the crucial quality of which was indeed forgiveness. She gives a portrait of a loving, forgiving community of people of all ages and backgrounds, of which she herself was clearly an essential part. Her parents, her wider family, came to life so wonderfully through this story, and she enables us to see the forces which shape her own extraordinary personality. We recognize in them and in her grandparents some of the characters reflected in her own stories. There, too, the redemptive theme is finally worked out. The other impressive variations of that theme emerge in her description of her trips to Uganda and Rwanda, tracing the central experiences of the East African revival with its profound expression of repentance and the grace for the account of which she later wrote. We saw also later in her life, after she moved to Coventry, the ways in which her continual identification with the world mission scene to the Coventry Charity Global Care led her to her visits to the Ethiopian refugee camps in the Sudan as well as Romania. Earlier, her remarkable sister Hazel in Beirut in Lebanon and on the journey back from Beirut to North Africa gave her the material for other stories. Strangely and characteristically, I believe that the supreme expression of her lifelong theme was worked out in her time of physically greater weakness through the undiminished vitality in the final phase of her mission in this housing estate in Coventry. There, as she mourned the loss of her brothers and looked back at times over her life and missionary experiences with which seems to us a surprising sense of regret and sorrow, with which nonetheless many active people of that kind could surely in their later years identify. She seems to arrive at the deepest core of her message. We saw the influence of that delightful household in Canterley on fellow Christians, on visiting family, and more especially on young children and teenagers who poured in and out of the housing estate round about and who responded to that magic touch of Patricia's as the young of old, all ages have always responded all her life. But she found herself, as she calls it, standing alone, and seeing the failures, the mistakes, the might-have-beens, and asking what could have been achieved. It is there that she describes Christ coming and standing beside us and saying, Look with me. 
reminding us of the words in Joel, I will restore the years the locust has eaten out of his ultimate redemptive power. So this astonishing record has its climax in this quite extraordinary poem which brings it to a close. This is a poem which speaks of of that power and weakness, that final transfiguring which we find in the gospel and experience of Christ as nowhere else. She writes of the one who, stooping very low and graves with care, his name indelible upon our dust, and from the ashes of our self-despair, kindles a flame of love and humble trust. He seeks no second site on which to build, but on the old foundation stone by stone, cementing sad experience with grace, fashions a stronger temple of his own. Here the theme rises to the fitting greatness at the climax, which expresses the greatest surprise of all to me, the very same image of forgiveness as the cathedral of the city in which she came to end her life, the image of a movement through the fragments and the ruins of ourselves, our church, our society, towards that wholeness into which Christ draws us on. This is surely the most essential message for people of our own time. It is what the gospel supremely has offered to the world at this moment. It is the forgiveness which is all that we have, and it finds in this autobiography an expression which is all of a piece with Patricia's life and writing and person in a way which becomes a lasting testimony for us all. Simon Barrington Ward And tomorrow we will start the autobiography. I love you, I'm praying for you, and we'll see you tomorrow, and I pray that you will be blessed by this autobiography. Bye-bye.